are listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond, and this is RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. This is Melissa. This is Jesse. And Francesca. And on the March 7th edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, I hope you packed a lunch because Alice Cooper lied to you. School is not out forever, and we're about to take you back and get educated on Richmond Public School Board. If you follow the headlines, I'm sure you're asking yourself, outside of tomfoolery nonsense and drama, what does Richmond Public School Board do? They select and employ the school's division superintendent, take recommendations from the superintendent, and let my laptop turn off while I'm trying to speak. Thank you. Excellent. Do over. It's fine. You get a mulligan. (laughs) Or seven. (laughs) When you get a case of the Melissa's. Anyway, if you follow the headlines, I'm sure you're asking yourself, outside of tomfoolery, nonsense, and drama, what does Richmond Public School Board do? Well, they select and employ the school division superintendent, take recommendations from the superintendent, and set policies to enact the division's vision. Each city district votes for their school board members. There are nine members total. The nine members vote on which of them will serve as chair and vice chair, which are one-year terms. Eighth district board member Don Page and fifth district board member Patrick Sapini were recently re-elected to serve as chair and vice chair, respectively. Of the nine members, only Chair Page has served on the board previous to this current term. Two members, 3rd District's Kenya Gibson and 7th District's Cheryl Burke, were not the individuals originally selected by their districts to serve for this term. In the 3rd District, Jeff Bourne dipped after winning the 71st District House of Delegates seat in a special election, which left the seat vacant. Cindy Menz-Herb was appointed to fill his seat, but lost the November election to Gibson. The 7th District originally elected Nadine Marsh-Carter, however, she stepped down from her seat when her husband unexpectedly passed away. The board appointed former Chimborazo principal Cheryl Burke to fill the seat until a special election can be held in November 2018. But who are all these people I'm name dropping like it's my job? Or at least really bad hobby? Well then, let's get into that. But before we do, I feel like I might want to mention here that I actually ran for third district school board against Jeff and Kevin Starlings, but my campaign did not prevail. But I mentioned that to say I have a little bit of a different relationship with several of the candidates because I ran in the same 2016 election, so we had to suffer through the same forums, answering the same questions in Mm. one minute or less. So we have that same hashtag forum life perspective. All right, so we'll start with the first district. That would be Liz Doerr. So the first district serves Mary Munford, not Mumford as Siri would like me to think, (laughs) elementary. Albert Hill Middle and Thomas Jefferson High. So Liz won her election in 2016, so she started in 2017. Wait, didn't she yeah, I was gonna say, didn't she um, get an endorsement from Obama? Yes. Yes, she did. She did. I was surprised. Like, I really thought that it was gonna be LaFar that got the Obama endorsement. But Liz Dorr school board came in with it. So she actually was um, the Virginia field director for President Obama's Organizing for America. So she had worked on his campaign and that was her in to the Obama endorsement. All right. Well, that solves that mystery. Yeah, no, it's not super (laughs) Scooby-Doo. But currently she actually works for New Richmond Ventures, which is the venture capital firm that Jim Ucrop and a couple other people have. But her background's actually in finance. She just had a baby, which is exciting. Congrats and stuff. I didn't realize she was having a kid with how little time she actually took away from school board. Like, I don't think I remember her really being gone from too many meetings. I was really impressed. She actually worked on the uh, facilities committee. So when they started re-looking back at, like, facilities, she was working with Cindy Men's Herb, who, if you remember, was appointed in the third district. And that was kind of when George Mason came 
back into the spotlight as this major urgent issue that it's technically always been, but people hadn't been talking about for a little while. Boring it. But she worked on that committee with Cindy, and I actually kind of had a little bit of a problem with her. Oh. As much as I love Liz. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, I actually kind of criticized her a little bit online because when Cindy Manzurb in the third district was campaigning for her election, people had seen Liz from the first district out door knocking for Cindy. (laughs) Which is confusing. Which is confusing, yeah. And I just think it's an odd message, you know, for somebody who's been appointed to a position by the board. So the board got applications. Mm -hmm. The board selected that person to then have someone from a different district stumping in the district. It was just odd to me. But stumping in not their own district. So then going into the second district, we have Scott Barlow. So the second district serves the schools Carver Elementary, Fox Elementary, Maggie Walker, Richmond Academy, and Richmond Alternative School. Scott went to Drexel Law School. He did not take or pass the bar in Virginia. Um, So he's not like a practicing attorney. He just has the JD background. But he works in like, okay, so you know those really bad user agreements? (laughs) <laughs> that nobody reads. Oh, yeah. yeah. Apparently, like, he's involved at some company there that, that writes them or something. Oh, dear. So he's oh. probably the one person, if you ever wanted to know what they said, he could probably tell you. I want him to write <laughs> in some really weird mess right? that people will agree to without even reading it. A surprise, there's probably already some in there. Because <laughs> nobody reads them. But he's always been, like, from what I've seen on the board, like, he will ask a lot of questions. He wants to make sure that everything is done in the proper way. Yeah. So I've seen him vote no on a couple things. Not because he didn't agree with it, but because he didn't agree with, like, how fast it was going. So he thought that there should be more time yeah. to look at it. And I know this is something that I criticize Kim Gray for saying, which is kind of where it gets funny because Kim Gray is also in the 2nd District. <laughs> it's a 2nd District. Right? (laughs) Most of the time when Scott does that, I'm sitting there questioning why are they voting this through right now? It's really weird because it'll be stuff like the facilities plan. I was there at the meeting when they approved it in December, and I remember getting this thing, and it was this 11 by 17 massive piece of paper. You could barely read what was on it. Mm. I couldn't process what it was. And this is the first time I had seen it. That I couldn't process exactly like what any of it meant. I know that they had just gotten some of that information a day or two before in right a before. massive binder. I was on board with that moment of just, can we, why are we trying to push this so hard or so quickly? Reading is fundamental. <laughs> yeah. Those are the kind of moments mm-hmm. where I'm like, this feels really rushed when there's just not even enough time for the public to have looked it up online beforehand. But then when I really looked at it again and I finally understood what they were doing, okay, they could have like explained a little bit better what they were doing. Yeah. But his no vote on the facilities was actually more just because of that. Well, I think that's the, just to point out that difference. When Kim says, I have questions, I need more time, I need more details, she doesn't really explain why. She just kind of says that and says, I just need more time, so blah, blah, blah. He seems to, I feel like, articulate himself and his stance a lot better. So maybe that's why it feels different. Well, and I also feel like when Kim does it, she is, there There has been time. She just has not used it wisely. Yeah, that's my analysis of that situation. The information was available. We should have been talking about this beforehand. That's kind of our second district. And then the third district is Kenya. So she has not been on the board very long. But she rounds um, out the corner of sanity with <laughs> first through third districts. Oh, my gosh. Third district Covers Ginter Park Elementary, Linwood Holton Elementary, Jeb Stewart Elementary, hopefully not for long, Jeb Stewart Elementary, I mean, Henderson Middle, and John Marshall High, Richmond Community, Richmond Technical Center, and Real at Henderson. 
So a lot of schools. What's interesting though, so to Melissa's point, so Kenya was elected in November and was sworn in, I think it was December. So she's now been on the board for maybe three months. Mm -hmm. Real new, fresh. And she previously, her big support base was really support our schools. Mm -hmm. And she stood against the education compact in its original form because of the potential for Mayor Stoney to come in and kind of take over the mm -hmm. board and get his fingers into things that they did on the day to day. And it's interesting because to your point, like she is very much a very pragmatic and like sane and kind of they're all in the same corner of the first, second, third, right in line. But it's interesting because she hasn't really been voting in the same line with the first and second districts. But she makes good points, though. Like, <laughs> so even if she's against them. In the facilities thing, going back to it, so there was a point where Kenya and Scott were both saying, and this was actually Kenya's very first meeting as a board member, and she had just been sworn in that night. Both of them were saying, like, we need more time to read this plan. And then when it came down to the vote, Scott ended up saying no. Kenya ended up saying yes. So it's really interesting how even though they'll be in the same place, she kind of at the end of the day, her I asked her about it later. And what she said basically was when you look at the plan, the only difference is that they were voting on phase one. And it was the same exact phase one. The only difference is the stuff that came after phase one that they weren't officially voting on, but it set the tone that they wanted to go in was are there going to be school closures in the future or not? Or not, right. And they couldn't nail that down. Right. And so basically they only voted on phase one. They're exactly the same. And she said, ultimately, I know at the end of the day, I don't want school closures. I'm going to vote for the plan that doesn't have school closures no matter what it is. And so that's where she ended up jumping in with that vote as a yes and kind of departed from the first and like second, really the, the point, the second district with uh, Scott and his thoughts on it. Because Liz actually wasn't there that night. That facilities vote was kind of weird now that I think about it. Mm. But anyway... <laughs> fourth district all right see now we're well, now we're getting into the crazy yeah this is this <laughs> well, is like jumping in the deep end i was gonna say we just jump right off into the deep <sighs> end after we chill with the you know the yeah. fairly relaxed folks yeah now so, it's time jonathan young uh fourth district so this serves fisher southampton westover hills brown middle elkhart thompson and huguenot high how did he win <sighs> <sighs> How did he win? So there were four people running, if I remember, for school board in that district. Correct. And they all kind of split the votes into different ways. Mm -hmm. And then Jonathan was just, I don't know if he was getting permission to put signs on people's lawns, mm. but there were signs everywhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. They just popped up out of nowhere, like a bad cancer, just growing and growing. Not like a, a bad, bad like, like a bad, like. Virginia creeper vine is what I was trying to go with. Mm -mm. Cancer like, and Virginia creeper vine. Like. About the same. Same. <laughs> I mean, very invasive. Very, very invasive. I just, he just he came did. out of nowhere because he didn't have a lot going on in the forums. Mm -mm. He didn't have a he lot. He showed of, up. Yeah, he either didn't show up or he just huh. didn't have any answers nope. in the few times that I he really was don't there. remember him ever showing up. Does anybody? Um, I remember seeing him once or twice. Yeah. And his answers were very. Bleh. No substance. They were really. It's like, really strange. Which is strange for how vocal he is. Yeah, so it, totally huh. different in office. But can we please talk about oh. the picture? Does anybody else remember this? Oh, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. So apparently, in the whole like line of how did he win, I can't guarantee for it sure was those, that it was him. It was the late night creeping. So there <gasps> was out of those <laughs> extra votes. Yeah, there was this next door forum. Ah, next door. On next door. And somebody in the fourth, or maybe it's even like a Facebook group of it, somebody had posted a picture of 
somebody with like a hoodie on and it was this black and white like ring doorbell photo and they had a hoodie on and i swear to you this thing looked like jonathan young <laughs> knocking doors in the middle knocking of the night. doors and it was like 10 11 p.m and we haven't confirmed it because I, like, blew up his phone for three days straight. Did not get it. Yeah, like, sent him several emails to confirm, was this you? I'm going to say his silence is an affirmative. <laughs> I've seen the picture. It sure looked we like We have yeah. overanalyzed this picture. I mean, this mm-hmm. was in 2016, y'all. We're still analyzing it. No, we're not. We're, we're sure. So he's the one that talks to the third person. He does. He does. He does. Talk to the third person. He does. But he doesn't just talk to the third person. He says, well, yours truly. Yes, he does. And then he'll launch into his whatever it is he wants to say. Pretty much the, he also likes to submit a lot of amendments and changes to things that nobody else, it's like, when you're a politician, typically before you submit something, you have a little bit of support. You mm-hmm. talk to some people and you have somebody there ready, but like, no. Nobody wants to second his emotions. I don't They're know if happen. he just goes and types these things up in a Word document and just hands them over to the clerk and just gets them in and nobody sees them in advance. Because some of the stuff in there, it's His Jonathan reason. Young's budget proposal of things that should be cut that nobody voted yes to, but he tried. At least he tried. He does what he wants. Yours right. truly does what he wants. <laughs> So he is also the one who's very vocally in favor of school consolidation. And I would say he's actually one of the only ones that's vocal about it. There's a lot of people on the board. I would say the majority right now is not in favor of school consolidation. Jonathan's the only person that's really come out and said, yes, I'm in favor of it. So moving on to the 5th District, back out of the crazy pool, to Patrick Sapini. The 5th District covers Cary, Maymont, Swansboro, Binford, Open, with Amelia Street, 13 Acres, Patrick Henry, Richmond Career Education Employment Academy. Also a lot of schools. Patrick Sapini, I feel so bad. Because as I mentioned, I ran for school board with some of these people alongside them. I've met them several times. Every single time Patrick sees me, he says hello and remembers me by name. And first of all, he is a silent walker. Absolute silent walker. He comes up out of nowhere and he says hello. And I'm always startled that he remembers who I am every single time. And yet somehow I constantly will forget that he's on school board. Because he is that quiet. He just, he's he's the vice chair and he sits next to Don. And then all of a sudden I'll be on my phone tweeting and I'll just hear Patrick's voice. And I'm like, oh. Where's that guy? That's right. You have a new member? Patrick Sapini's on board. I can't. <laughs> just because he's so quiet. He really doesn't say much. He'll speak when it's something that's important. Oh, so he's like the Clarence Thomas of the board? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I, I think I've probably only heard him talk maybe less than five times. <laughs> Definitely can count them on one or two hands. Don't need my toes to count. Oh, no. I've, I've talked but to him a couple times. He's he's really sweet. I've got lots of kids and the podiatrist. Chester? What a brave man. Feel. Who chooses to be a foot doctor? Maybe that's why he's a silent walker. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's nice. I, I no, think he's, he's super nice. nice. He's, just, he's just not. You know why, why we don't have a lot to say? Because he's... Not with a lot of drama. No, he's there. Like, he's a solid member. He's mm-hmm. not dramatic. He doesn't really speak up very much. He votes, doesn't have a whole, whole lot to say, kind of like a Cynthia Newbile almost. He's just chill, and I think that's good. So we're going to move on to the 6th District. So the last several districts, we've made, made a comment about how many schools are in each of those districts. Yeah, what's up with this one? <laughs> this is my district, and I'm looking at it like, seriously? But it's true. We don't have a high school in our district. So we got Overby Shepherd and MLK Middle, and that's it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was an interestingly small district to and cover, but especially knowing that it's your Huggy Hug district. It's my that... Huggy Hug district that goes like all the way from the north around to the south. So those kids get routed to other schools. Yeah, there's no house high school. That's that's a shame. That's a huge shame. They don't even have their own high school in this district. How long would it take him to get from one polar opposite of the district to the other polar opposite of the district? Well, and so that's the thing. It's like they're going to be, they can be split up to either side of it and schools on those ends of it, which is a whole other thing. So for example, the kids that live in Gilpin Court, they actually go to school at Carver, which is in the second district for the purposes of school board. But Gilpin Court is in third district for the purposes of city council. (laughs) I'm just wondering, so all the kids that, you know, maybe that live in Manchester area, do they come all the way to Overby Shepherd? Mm-mm. I didn't think so. Mm-mm. No, no. they're going to be zoned somewhere in the south. It's just that kids, for example, that live in Manchester and have Ellen, the 6th District City Council representative, they're not going to go to sc- school with the 6th District School Board representative. So the people that they actually vote to elect isn't their person necessarily for the board, mm-hmm. for the schools their kids are going to. That just seems very wrong to me. And there's several places like that. Gilpin Court will vote for the third district representative, but the kids go to Carver Elementary in the second. I like Felicia very much, but I have to say, I miss my human PA system. (laughs) Shonda! Shonda Harris Mohammed! I miss her. As far as I can tell, Felicia's doing all right. So Felicia Cosby, she was the Richmond Public Schools spokeswoman. Spokeswoman. For eight years. And then she was put on paid leave in 2014. Because a former adult intern mm-hmm. alleged that she served him wine four years previously. So she was actually put on leave and then her contract was not renewed at the end of 2014. And then in 2015, she filed a lawsuit against seven of the school board members and the superintendent, Dr. Jana Bedden, because she alleged that it was false and defamatory. And that's why, and she said yeah. that's why she lost her job. And yep. Because of that. And that they broke your confidence as a school board by basically allowing that information to get out about an internal investigation. Her response to all of this has been that she is an amateur. I'm going to pronounce this completely wrong. So Fran's going to have to correct me. Go for it, girl. You got it. Vinter. It's Vintner. 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 So she makes wine. Mm -hmm. Not all of it is alcoholic. She has non-alcoholic wine, and she would never, according to her, violate school policy by bringing any type of alcoholic wine on the premises. Well, the issue was it was a bottle. So so they say it was a gift. She was giving this intern, this male intern, a gift, like a birthday, Christmas, whatever. And the bottle was closed and packaged, and something happened in the meantime, and... People got upset, and all of a sudden, it was she served him some wine. And <sighs> seriously, it's just petty. And so Shonda po- spoke out. Shonda was really vocal about that at that time. Then, out of the blue, Felicia's like, "You know what? I'm gonna run against Shonda, and I'm gonna I'm take just gonna her seat. I'm gonna drop my lawsuit. I'm gonna I'm drop just, this lawsuit. I'm just gonna run against Shonda, and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take this seat. And I love Shonda. Hey, Shonda. Hey, girl. Mm-hmm." But she took that, she just snatched that seat right on out of there. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's like the pettiest move ever. <laughs> <laughs> that is super petty. <laughs> what flavor was that wine? <laughs> Welcome to the 6th District. Petty Berry. Petty Berry. <laughs> petty Berry. Thank All you. right. So going into the 7th District. So this is one where we have someone who's appointed, Cheryl Burke. Mm-hmm. 
She was appointed this year in 2018 after Nadine Marsh Carter stepped down. She was the Chimborazo Elementary Principal from 1996 to 2014. So I actually read a Richmond Magazine article about her where she described on one of her first days in August 2016 her sitting on the back steps of Chimborazo and seeing that the playground was littered with drugs and syringes. Mm-hmm. Oh. She is one that everything I found in my research, she has found a ton of resources for Chimborazo and to the point where she was finding different donations. I mean, it's stuff as small as like hand sanitizer in some cases. She actually also, the school won a trip to the Bahamas for all 57 employees as a reward for full state accreditation. And it was paid for primarily by the PTA. They got the school fully accredited and that was in 2005 while she was principal. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And if you think that's 11 years or like nine years into when she started from where it was at when she came in. And then she retired in 2014. Actually, also, the other one that I thought was really cool was that Chimbo was the first elementary school to offer an international baccalaureate program. So there's a lot of stuff that she did at Chimbo when she was there. Two years after she starts, she changed the school in a radically different direction. And the people in the 7th District absolutely love her. So we can move on to the 8th District. The 8th District is uh, Chairwoman Don Page. And that is Blackwell, Broad Rock, Oak Grove, Bellmead. So she is the only person on school board who has served previous to this current term. So she's the chairwoman, former board member, and then she ran against Riva for city council and lost. So now she's back taking the chair position. I believe it was Derek Jones, Dwight's son, that was actually in the eighth in those four years when she was yeah. gone. And I believe it was Jones that encouraged her to run, if I remember. That's Fran shaking her head yes, like you all can hear it on the radio. Oh, I'm so sorry, y'all. So it was always interesting, though, that, that Derek Jones ended up in that seat. And mm-hmm. then he decided not to run again. And then that's when Dawn decided to run uh, to get her seat back. She is one that Melissa's already dying laughing. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. I just, I really love her right out of the gate, asserting her, I don't even know how to, her her aura, how she's going to be, getting up out of her chair hey. to go sit in Patrick's chair so. to make a statement and basically recusing herself from being the chairwoman for five minutes so she could go slam off on everyone. Everybody. Standing up, walking calmly back to the chairwoman's chair, sitting down in it and being like, all right, let's commence me being chairwoman. Back at it. <laughs> it was just fantastic. like, that was the best introduction to Dawn Page because during the the election, I, I maybe I didn't pay attention to her enough. No. It, it was not, it wasn't a really contentious race in the eight. Mm. And so I guess maybe I didn't think about it enough, but I guess she wanted everybody to know who she was like the moment she came in. Well, I think that she kind of, if you think about it, she, that situation is the only person with previous experience. So I think at some point she is trying to assert some level of authority, of dominance. And she don't have no problem doing it either. Right. I wish that she was a better public speaker sometimes because there are times when I think that she's trying to communicate a point and her point gets a little bit misconstrued. So there's this one example of when they had the education compact provides for there to be quarterly quarterly joint meetings between the mayor, council, and school board. And at one of these meetings, Kim Gray and Kristen Larson, this is before the meals tax had officially passed, but it had been announced. They're basically going on about how the board needs a better plan. And Don Page makes this comment that at face value sounded kind of aggressive (laughs) and not even aggressive, but just very directly attacking, I guess would be the words. Mm, Yes. So it's, it was something along the lines of, like, how there are people on city council who they could have done something as far as facilities goes when they were on board. But 
this is the school board's plan and they are on the school board and they are no longer on school boards so they need to do their part which yeah. is city council do your job and leave us a school board alone let me do mine but all you heard really was the very first beginning part of it which is a very attacking thing of like y'all could have done something too and that's when then Riva gets really upset and has to defend which also Don and Riva don't have the best relationship so Riva ha- feels like she has to kind of defend but also take the opportunity to yet again attack Don and kind of goes in on her because making the statement of like, well, you were also there previously, so you could have done something then too. Mm, mm, mm. But, you know, when you think about it, in my opinion, the bigger message wasn't even so much of y'all could have done it when you were here, but it was more the latter part that was, it is not your job as city council to come up in here into school board's business. You find the money, we've got your plan. Passed the plan a month ago. So get with it or get out. That was more of the message, but the way that she put it out there and it was at the end part of that, everybody was already lost on the whole, oh, she's going in. And then when she said that, they were like, oh, snap. Before anybody got to the end part of it, where she actually, like, makes a very, very solid point. And I think, too, a lot of people just expect school board to be full of drama at all times. Yeah. And so I think even, you know, even some of our most drama queenish board members maybe get taken the wrong way because people are just waiting for it. It's always been that way. You know, as far back as I can remember, everybody's waiting for the drama of school board because it's always a mess. And I mean, it's going to continue to be that way because right now, I think probably more so than ever, at least for the next five or six years, it's going to stay a mess. That's nothing personal towards anybody on the board. It's just where we find ourselves. There's so much work to be done. Yeah, everybody, that's what everybody's talking about. And so it's overwhelming. Yeah, it's overwhelming. People's emotions are in this. People are showing up. I think the other problem is that people use school board as a jump off point for bigger political careers. So you yeah. have a lot of high turnover on school board. You don't have a lot of institutional knowledge, That's which, true. you know, on council, good news, bad news, you have a handful of people who have been there a decade. <laughs> Unfortunately, most of them are people that I wish hadn't been there a decade. <laughs> but you do have some <laughs> level of institutional knowledge about the inner workings. For example, when we were in, in the whole Redskins thing, where Parker Agilasto just threw down the timeline of receipts of this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's because he was there. And so a lot of the people on board, as in all but Don Page. Yeah, they're brand new. Brand new. So they're just accepting more doo-doo that was there all the time and trying to... Trying to understand it even. Understand the doo-doo and find roses in the doo-doo. So then Linda. Linda, who was one of my forum friends. Yes. So the ninth district is Francis Elementary, Green Elementary, Jones Elementary, Red Elementary, and Reed Elementary. So you got a lot of elementary schools. Little kids. Oh, The babies. But she's actually wanting, you might know more about her than I do, Melissa, because I don't know much because she ran unopposed. No, she, she did she not just... get enough signatures to get back on the ballot. So she ran unopposed. Really nice lady. Wasn't she a former school teacher? I think so. I don't know. She just, she won one because she was unopposed, but two just because she seemed like a genuine kind soul who wanted to make a difference for the children in her district, especially because they are the little ones. This is... I was going to say she reminds me of a kindergarten teacher. She's so loving. Crazy, because... So here's the other side of this. is like I've sat in many a school board meeting, Mm -hmm. at least two or three, where Candace Lucas, (laughs) Mm -hmm. who is, if you don't know Candace, she is an amazing activist. Mm -hmm. Um, She does not let people get away with Anything. anything. Nope. She has nothing. The receipts. Mm-hmm. She will not. She's like a dog with a bone and will not let you forget mm-hmm. what you've done. And there have been several times when I've been in meetings and Candace will actually go off about Linda in the meeting about how in some like disciplinary action committee or, or conversation, Linda basically did not take 
the kids' word for what they were saying. And it's always really awkward because Linda's just sitting there, like, not far from where Candace is speaking because mm-hmm. she's on the on her seat and Candace is right over there and Linda's at the edge as the ninth district person and she's just sitting there with, like, her head down in her lap. Oh. It cannot feel good to be called out like that. Well, I can't say... That regardless of how it feels, Candace is somebody that has no problem doing it. She doesn't care who you are. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Linda's a bad person. Oh, she took over for Tichi. That's yep. right. Yes, Tichi. Couldn't get the signatures to get on the ballot. Man, yeah. that was crazy, right? And that's why she was running on a post because T.G. Yep. Pinkney Epps could not get enough signatures. So, yeah, she is a retired educator. Linda Owen is a... Yeah. A teacher. And yeah, the, the thing is, like, the byproduct of her running on a pose meant she was either not participating in forums or people really didn't invite her or ask her for, like, any candidate guides or anything like that because yeah, it was just. It was just her. But just she would show up at a whole bunch of them, even if they weren't school board, because I know I talked to her at city council forums, at mayoral forums, at just mm-hmm. gatherings or whatever. I talked to her everywhere I went. Sweetest grandma you ever want to meet. We don't really know much about her, but I do hope that Linda Owen gets a chance to show us what she's made of. If you are just joining us, you are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Now back to the show. Shout out to all the public school teachers. I right? love y'all. I know. My mom's been a public school Bless teacher for you 27 all. years. Seriously. Yes. You go through something. Really do. And especially here in the city, a lot of them are going through some really painful stuff. Can you, can you really, I can't imagine this. Can you imagine walking into your classroom every single day, pulling out the supplies that you bought with your own money, and then pulling out the cleaning supplies that you also bought with your mm-hmm. own money, and, cle- and cleaning rodent and roach feces mm-hmm. off of your first grader's desk because that's what our teachers are doing. And then having to go spraying to city bleach for mold. Yep. To beg for money and beg for them not to close schools and basically yeah. beg for you to be able to retain your job yeah. every year, mm-hmm. every couple of years. And you make pennies. Nothing. I hate to say it, but it's not just in Richmond. My mom's teacher in Portsmouth. Same, same stuff. Different district. Hard times, ladies and gentlemen. Kind of moving on now from our favorite school board members. And we've been talking a little bit about how public school teachers are having to endure really rough conditions along with their students. And that's one of the biggest things that's probably impacting Richmond public schools today are the facilities. And just the aging facilities, how absolutely horrible the facilities are with mold in them, with falling ceiling tiles in them, with lack of sports facilities for kids to really participate in middle school sports especially. Where are we at right now with facilities? I kind of wanted to give a high-level overview of where we've been at, which is not doing too, too much. But there was actually an original facilities plan back in 2002 that I found. So 16 years ago. And this thing has a list of different phases and areas. And it goes into detail about how all this information was decided by the community. And it was a very, very big community-based effort. And it had different phases of where they're going to pull from every area of the city, of how they're going to get these things done. And I went through this entire thing and it went through the estimated costs and also like the adjusted inflationary costs. So that was in 2002. So then in 2007, they updated the 2002 plan and just provided a little bit more information. And I noticed on that one, they kind of moved some of the schools around, changed what was in each phase. And of course, they also had like the estimated costs and everything there. So then fast forward, 2015 is the next facilities plan I found. So this is the infamous option five. 
Dun, dun, dun. If anybody's heard uh, Councilwoman Kim Gray talk about option five or Kirsten Larson, this is the one that they made on the board previous to this current board, which if we can pause and think, so 2015, this is when they started this plan, really. At the end of 2014, I was finding some information about like the facilities task force and gathering information. The presentation really started in 2015. It was into 2016, which is at the end of their term. So school board members are elected on four-year terms, and the last boards ended in 2016. So they were already almost two years into their term before this was really putting into reality. So if you think at the same time where school board doesn't have power of the wallet and that's city council and you have city council and Dwight Jones is mayor at that point and Dwight Jones is coming to where he can't run again. He's hit his term limit. So what's his real incentive, I would say, to find the funds for this? So this plan is the one. supposed to be a good person. Go ahead. (sighs) I mean. Because you ran on a education platform. (laughs) You know, didn't they all? (sighs) They do, and we still don't have a solution. Option five is interesting to me, though, because if you look at it, every single phase, the previous ones, actually listed the exact school names. This one doesn't. doesn't. So this option five actually just says, like, all right, in phase one, what we're going to do for elementary, middle, and high school is we're going to close five. We're going to build two new ones. We're going to do an addition onto an existing one to make it bigger. And then that's going to have a net impact of however many schools. So they go through this for each elementary, middle, and high school and then come up to like a totals number, which I think is interesting because at nowhere does it actually specify which schools which were school being closed. Is. So what's with the mystery? Which is why it's a mystery to me as to why we keep pointing back to option five facilities plan as we need something more like option five or we need to at least consider consolidations because this plan really doesn't say which ones were anticipated to be closed, which is bizarro. Yeah, because you would think with the understanding that a school is going to close, does that mean that they're grading all the schools on the same, you know, well, all of them are crappy so oh, right just how are five? you to yeah how are you to judge right yeah. don't give names and specific reasons for why and you know i'll say that one's chosen for closure mm-hmm. in the 2015 and the 2017 plan they actually did have lists of schools that were slated for closure and they specified which ones and so like the 2002 one specified the west hampton building maymont elementary norrell elementary norrell annex franklin military bellevue whitcomb armstrong patrick henry southampton carver 13 Acres, Real School, Broad Rock, Oak Grove, Bellmead, Summer Hills, Rough and Road Annex, Bitford Middle School. I, that feels like all of them. So... That was 15 schools. It's just... It's a lot. And so then I also found in the 2015 information with Option 5 that since 2005, so that's three years after this 2002 plan, since 2005, school board has closed 17 schools. They've eliminated 1 million square foot and 6,600-ish seats. They opened four new schools with 575,000 square feet and 3,700 seats. So it's a net reduction of 13 schools, 425,000 square feet, and 2,900 seats. And so in option five, when they were actually presenting this, they were looking at more school closures. So that brings us to today. And clearly. And my screwed up face right now. A a decrease in population growth, clearly, if you're going to. Well, and so that's kind of the interesting thing. So (laughs) going to today, And by today, I mean really end of 2017. Last summer, we heard Cindy and Liz and the facilities task force started back up again. And they came out with some recommendations and ideas of looking at what schools need to have things done. And then ultimately, the school board came together with this plan. They voted in favor of plan A because no longer do we have options one through five. We're now in the plan Plan A or plan B. And so these were also based in phases. The first phase 
was the same in both and it was only for the first five years, if I remember. And the reason they did that is they only wanted to vote specifically to say we're gonna do phase one because they didn't think it made sense as a board to vote on a 20-year facilities plan when they're only here for four years. For four years, which makes sense. Which makes sense. So phase one in both of them was actually to build a Green Elementary School, Elkhart Thompson Middle School, a Georgewood High School, a Mason Elementary School, and a Woodville Elementary School. One of the ones, I think it was green, was gonna actually be a thousand seats, which is a lot larger than it is today, almost I think double. That was kind of the plan for this one. So they voted through plan A. The only difference with plan B was that plan B after phase one did include some school closures. And it was a marginally less cost, comparatively speaking. But they decided to go with the one without school closures. Kind of where Fran was going with this was about the declining population. At the time when they were looking at all of these in 2002, and then again, leading up to really 2015, there's a big decline in school population. Now, especially in Southside, we're seeing an increase. And a lot of schools in Southside are overcrowded. Really overcrowded. I kind of wanted to bring us all up to speed to have a question about where are you guys at on school closures right now with an increasing population in general but we still do know that there's a lot of challenges in the middle and high schools and people leave really after elementary school the other side i've heard of the argument is if you can have bigger schools and less of them you're not having to have as high staffing costs because instead of having a bunch of principals mm -hmm. you only have to have one principal so there's absolutely the administrative cost of having some school closures and trying to consolidate into bigger ones but on the other side of it we get into community schools and the importance of having community schools that's mm -hmm. and that's what is in my mind right now because mm -hmm. a lot of people rely on the resources that say their community elementary school provide. Not being able to walk from your house to your elementary school to grab your kid up can be a huge problem, a barrier. Says all the people in the counties. Right, I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. I know that my schools were well away from my son where I was lived. 40 minutes from elementary school. Schools in your community, in your neighborhood, become the hub. They serve dual purposes. You know, when you have a, a school in your community, in your neighborhood, it's not only the school that your kids go to, but it's also the playground that they play right, on when yes. they're not at school. It's also you know, an open space after school for after school programs. It's a place where your kids get yeah. fed. It's yeah, they, they eat all, most of their meals there. You know, it's it is. It's it's a it's a hub for several other things or well, needs in the community. For some parents they might rely on a lot of teacher support and if you're farther away, well a parent can't get there for those teacher conferences that you may need to have on a regular basis. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, but I really feel like schools in your neighborhood that you can walk to or get to pretty easily are a real benefit. And you know, I'm gonna say this before I ask this kind of devil's advocate question. I personally I don't think we should close schools. I, I think it would be very difficult to predict the population booms because right now I feel like we're very behind on predicting the population booms because we're just now predicting, I'm air quoting that for anybody who can't see me vigorously shaking my fingers. <laughs> <sighs> we're predicting that we've already seen an influx in mm -hmm. Southside. I know how many people are moving into my neighborhood in Northside in the third district that are young millennials buying homes. And having kids And it's too. again that younger population that's going to boom. I just have a hard time with saying we should close schools. Now that being said, when we can't afford to fix the facilities and we're sending kids in 
health challenged condition, it feels like a really easy answer to say, let's just have less of them because we can't afford it. Well, I understand both sides of the argument and I think that's where I struggle with it because just like you just said, you can't necessarily predict the population boom, but there's also another factor that affects people leaving the public schools. If your public school doesn't offer what you feel, you know, is adequate for your child and you think, at least you think that you have another option in a public, I mean, in a private school or some other option, lots of people do that. And that hurts the public schools um, in a way. And I think that also affects the kind of the bell curve that we see in school population, especially after elementary school, which is really adverse to me because those are the most important years. Mm -hmm. You would think if I were going to send my child to an advanced school, it would happen during those kindergarten to early education years and then send them to the other school. But I mean, that's my personal thing is my mom being an educator and so on and so forth. The other side of that argument is if we can't afford to fix the facilities, I don't care how big the schools are, you're still going to have to repair. I mean, just general wear and tear on a building, especially even as the numbers grow, there's more wear and tear. Well, and Richmond has shown that we can't keep up. No, well, no, I don't know if that's true. That's not true. Richmond can keep up, but Richmond has, has critically and historically devalued the money that goes into our school system. So it's not as if we can't keep up. It's just we don't put our money where we're supposed to put it. That's the problem. Yes, because we only have, I think it was a million dollars for maintenance budget at one point for school. Are you joking? Yeah. Like it, it's that's it's, one school. Pretty that's much. like saying you know, really oh, I got ten dollars of a budget to maintain my house for a year. So like yeah. that's the side is like right now they're kind of on the facilities thing, eating it from both ends, where it's a lot of the conditions are so far beyond anything that it's incomprehensible how bad mm-hmm. they are. But then also even the newer facilities aren't being maintained. So because at there's some no point we're going to have a perpetual cycle. For that? There's not enough money in the budget. Not enough money the there. The city hasn't been giving enough money. That's the thing is let's You're go. between a rock and a hard place. I mean, there's not there's only but so much you can do. And I think that's where a lot of people in the schools feel like their hands are tied because you put me, especially in the, think about a new facility. You've put me in this new facility. We have all this new bright, shiny stuff. And then things start to break down or things start to, you know, fall apart or the gym floor we can't use for never. Then you have kids that are like, well, how come I can't? You, This is a brand new school. Like, and parents are like, well, I don't want to send my kids to that school because they just built it and they don't even know how to put the gym floor down. Like, let's talk so. about a couple different things really quick. There's really in my mind three different reasons that people wouldn't want to send their kids to Richmond Public Schools. And let's talk about which one really is most important do you attack first? Because I think there's a couple of them that are probably more in focus with us right now than others. I would say buildings is one of them. You don't want to send your kid to a terrible building. Accreditation issues and then safety. So when you get into in the elementary schools, we have a lot of very, very good elementary schools. George Washington Carver is blue ribbon accredited. That's an amazing achievement. Linwood Holton is a highly sought after school. Great elementary schools. And then everybody evaporates before middle school. The middle schools, people don't feel safe sending their kids there because of school culture. You can read between the lines on who doesn't go to the middle schools. Then they're gone. They're not coming back for high school after you haven't been there for middle school. Where do you start, though? And you have to have them all up and running. What is making people run to the counties more? Is it facilities? Is it the accreditation standards? Or is it fear of safety for their kids? It's a combination of of a lot of it all, I would think, because from the educator side of it if you send me to this building that's falling apart you expect me to 
do above and beyond. You know, you've put me on this SOL center track to teach these kids and these kids are not learning because they're sneezing the whole time they're in class or they're coughing or wheezing or ducking falling tiles or a number of other things or running away from Lulu, the classroom rat, whatever's going on. And these kids are expected to perform, they can't. Then you have children who, which this is a totally different related topic, but whatever, school to prison pipeline, you've got kids that have all types of issues going on, not only at school, but also at home. And the schools are not equipped to deal with them. The school don't have the personnel to even manage certain things like this. The teachers feel like they can't reprimand the kids right, in a way that's acceptable. Schools sharing guidance counselors. Yep, when... And nurses and everything else. And then you get to a point where kids who may just need pull out testing or a little bit of extra attention that the teacher says, I just don't have to give because I've got 35 kids in my class and I, I just can't. It's enough, it's too much, or it's overwhelming, or this kid is just disruptive when the kid may, it may be something else. And medication is not always the answer either. There's probably a lot of things that are misdiagnosed or undiagnosed in our schools. And instead of the kids getting the help that they need, they're just kind of pushed by the wayside or they're sent through disciplinary action, which makes the school look bad to other parents. And then you have these kids that were failing, literally failing them, and it just doesn't, it, it, it further, exacerbates the problem. I think for me, the reason that I, I think facilities is one thing that's so strong on my mind because I think that absolutely you have to have all three running on full cylinders. But I think the reason that I feel like facilities is somehow at the core of all of this is because of really two things. Is first of all, when I went into George Mason, I've been in there twice. I'm not somebody who has a lot of allergic reactions. The first time I thought I was crazy and just imagining it like hypochondria situation. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've heard about this school. Obviously I'm imagining this. But when it happened to me both times, when I was there for maybe an hour or two and got a headache and just started feeling I couldn't really focus on what was going on. And well, maybe my ADHD meds are wearing off already, but it wasn't even too late in the day and I'm just rationalizing my way out of it but at some point am I really able to focus when there's mold in my building and I think that's one level where you start to have kids that might have misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed behavior issues that could be solved partially with medical care and being in a facility that isn't crumbling when you're talking to George Mason teachers they're talking about how many kids now have to bring inhalers with them it is not normal for 13 out of 15 students to have an inhaler that's not normal secondary to that I think it has for me something to do with a kid's sense of work because we have a lot of kids in Richmond that are growing up in poverty. A lot of them are growing up in the housing projects. It feels a lot of the time like those are areas that Richmond does not care about. So you're spending your day-to-day life in a situation where maybe for you getting to school is a reprieve or it should be. And it's a place where you have a teacher who cares about you. You have friends who care about you. But it is yet again more of the same. Richmond has more money for the Washington Redskins than they have have for schools. Richmond has more more money for jails than they have for schools. Right, and you're telling these kids for center where, stage where they rank in the priority right. scale by having these kids who already have traumatic lives have to go to traumatic schools. It just seems to me it just seems forgotten or on purpose. Well, and and not only that, but like Jesse's saying, you know, it does deal with the child's self-worth, but we've gotten to a point now where it's almost necessary for teachers and administrators to be trauma-trained. Well, yeah, they are the guidance counselors. George Mason's one of the schools in Richmond that when Dr. Brennan was still in before the school board fired him in the middle of the night, he had recently put into place a trauma-informed care education for teachers in Mm -hmm. certain schools. And I remember sitting there at George Mason and one of the teachers asked the question of, you know what, we've had all of this trauma-informed care education. 
education. What what do we do when our facility is imposing trauma on our student? You're a self-perpetuating cycle. It, it, it absolutely. There's so many different things. How do you expect things. any kid to mm-hmm. succeed when you are telling them when they go to school you're just not worth it? Because when a ceiling tile falls down on a kid, you're telling them you're not worth it to me. And like maybe maybe so how are they supposed to succeed? How are they supposed to? hit all of their education goals. And I'd also just think maybe it wouldn't be as painful if you also didn't know at the same time any kid who plays sports is going to a school in the counties yeah. on these immaculate facilities. I mean, you and I both like, went to Chesterfield know, County Schools. Right. They were perfection at all times. I even went to, actually, so we went to the same high school, 10 years apart. Fun story. <laughs> no Lancers. She was the first class that went to that school. And I was 10 years later. We were overcrowded, had 2,500 students in a 2,000 school school facility. There were trailers everywhere. It was not decrepit and gross. It was completely fine. It was just, I thought that was completely normal. There's a lot of kids, but the facilities themselves were never run down. And then they built a brand new school, Cosby High School, which we drove by it not long ago, on real facility. It and looks kids like a college campus. Were fun. It looks like a John Tyler or something. It's unbelievable. And so, because I think, you know, no matter what, it's terrible to do this. But at the same time, you know, every single day kids are able to go if they're part of like sports teams or they're friends in other counties. They see it on Facebook. All of these amazing locations outside of Richmond City. What message does that send to a kid on a daily basis? If the adults don't care about my education, why should I? And I think that's for me where facilities are such a tangible thing. If while we're doing all these other things academically, while we're trying to improve other things. Look at what we have to do it in. Let's put the conditions back where they are livable. Also, you give a teacher a fully equipped, clean classroom and he or she is happy to go to school every day. Happy to teach these children things because they have everything they need and they're not spending their salary to get it. Girl, that's a long fight. That's a long road to that fight. Let me tell you. I'm sure it is. It's unbelievable. But I just think that facilities would improve everybody's quality of life and education. And morale and everything else. It makes a huge deal. And I think that's a part. I mean, I, I think it's a conversation. There's so many moving parts. It's a conversation that has to be had from all angles. It's not just we shouldn't close schools because we have a growing population. We've had a growth in population all this time. We just don't see the growth re- reflected in our school enrollment because people don't even think. If oh, they we're not have giving the them an option. option. <laughs> yeah, but if, but if they have the financial option oh, yeah. to choose otherwise, they do it because why well, yeah. wouldn't you? So going into the second part of this, you know, we talked already about facilities and now the academic side. That's another piece to this major puzzle that we've Which got going on. Which to me is the more most important piece. I think in the long-term sustainability of it, it has to be. Right now, uh, this is something that started with uh, Dr. Bedden. He requested actually the Virginia Department of Education to come in and basically review where the schools were at on a whole bunch of different metrics. Like this looked at the administration of the schools, this looked at the teaching, this looked at the uh, education of the teachers, really absolutely everything. So this is called the Memorandum of Understanding is what came out of it because the State of Education, or State Board of Education came in, did an evaluation, and came out with some recommendations. And those recommendations come with this Memorandum of of Understanding. As a brief highlight, the Memorandum of Understanding is basically a document between the Richmond City School Board and Richmond Public Schools and the Virginia Board of Education. And so document to 
together is basically where they have different levels of power, where the school board is still going to be the school board and have all the power, but now there's this extra layer of oversight. Mm -hmm. And there's a handful of meetings that come with that, a lot of reviews of budget and how things are spent. But the bigger piece of this puzzle is the capital, sorry, the corrective action plan, the CAP, the MOU and the CAP. The corrective action plan is every single line item, what they need to accomplish, and then it's supposed to be how they accomplish it. And then everything that a school district has money-wise is supposed to go towards accomplishing that plan. And the big thing about the MOU is that the school board and school system cannot get out of it until every single school is accredited. Speaking to the academic plan right now, I think there's been some drafting of it, but they really wanted to wait until we got a new superintendent mm -hmm. to really jump into what does our corrective action plan look like. So I'm sure Jason Camrus, uh, the new superintendent, is probably working through that right now with everybody to come up with plans because they're supposed to be at the individual school level. I I'm curious what you guys think, though, about the school district is in a place where obviously there's a commitment from the state level on the bad side that doesn't look great for anybody in Richmond Public Schools of having to have state oversight. But on the other side of it, of having to have under this level of oversight until they get accredited, does that give you guys any hope or confidence or how does it make you feel as far as the school division getting to where they need to be? Even if you're a prospective parent, would you maybe hedge your bets on, well, I know the elementary school is good. I, there's time for them to get to the academic, to the accreditation point of it. If people knew that. If people knew that, that's so that's that's another issue, too. I think information is so unavailable and people don't take the time or the effort to seek it out either. Um, so you have parents that are uninformed. You have to pull teeth literally to get parents to come to PTA meeting in certain districts. So a lot of schools don't have the PTAs. Yeah, I was going to say some schools don't even have PTA. You know, one parents don't know that. So that's not even a, that's not even on their decision Very true. list. You know, they don't even know that that's something that's happening, which I think is uh, the fact that it is happening is awesome. And it does give you kind of it almost feels like a backup. Like if you guys don't get it together, at least this is in the background running. So you've got something to work towards. It's it's a definite strong goal. But I don't think, you know, the average parent doesn't know. I bet if we did a toll right now, you know, parents don't know that. They don't even know that's out there. So how is that going to affect positively or negatively my opinion on where I put my... Not only that. And it's just... sad that even though that could be a piece of negatively perceived news, I think it's unfortunate that the only things that people are able to find out about schools easily is what they Google and see on like Zillow as far as the ratings of the school districts, stuff, yeah. um, which only relates to SOL accreditation, which I feel like everybody really realizes SOLs aren't a great indicator. I don't think success. everybody does yet. I don't really? think everybody does they yet. They don't. Some people think, oh, SOLs, that's the greatest. I'm like, well, okay, are you maybe kidding? I was talking about everybody right here in this room. Like, yeah, okay. us, oh, us oh, three oh, are us. all on the same page, oh, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. SOLs, right. SOLs are not the measure of your not education. Not the measure <laughs> No, yeah, SOLs suck. Uh, I thought you meant outside. No, yeah. outside of this, yeah. But no, we're good, yeah. It's unfortunate that the only things that we can really get out. So is there some level of perception problem with Richmond Public Schools even? Well, there's always going to be a perception problem until the perception is not so highly negative. <laughs> Bleak. As far as Richmond Study Schools goes, I think that this is kind of a little bit of an introduction to everybody on currently the state of things with the board and the state of our facilities and going through all of the different challenges that the city is facing, which yeah. is a nice foundation for as we continue the show to be able to go through some of the more in-depth things as they come up and doing some interviews with some of the 
board people. It's a lot of the focus right now in Richmond is with the schools and how do we fix the schools, which is thank goodness we're finally here. We'd like to thank you for listening to this week's edition of Municipal Mania. And I'm going to look at Melissa to really close it out because she knows the legal station ID and I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. You have been listening to Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond. If you'd like more information or just to engage us in conversation about the wide range of topics that we talk about related to Richmond government, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RVA Dirt. We produce our own show, but we'd like to say a special thank you to former mayoral candidate, host of the Let's Get Drunk and Talk About It podcast, and friend of the dirt, Nate Peterson. Thanks, Nate. You're a peach. You helped out greatly with our theme song and our sound for the first couple of episodes, and we'd be lost without you. Tune in next week for another spellbinding episode of Municipal Mania. Ah, ah, ah. Ah.